Yeah, you can have a seat. Hey, my name is Travis. Uh, I'm a pastor of a church called Roots Community. We gather in uh, the Park Rose area, and it is, it's a great honor to be here today. I remember my time here. It was about eight years ago, I think, that we started uh, my residency. I was with John Chang, and we planted Missio Community uh, while here, embedded. Uh, so we had a home. We had a place to call home. It was uh, an incredible honor, and it was a very restful season, as much as planting a church is kind of chaos. It was good to be here. It was good to have a place to uh, have a, a foundation. I spent another year here as well uh, before we planted uh, 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 Roots. And uh, from that, I just there's been a ton of influence that you guys have had. If you're here new or you've been here for a while, uh, I just want to say thanks for letting me be here uh, again to come back. Uh, if you came to our gatherings, you would see uh, parts that we have stolen, I mean that we borrow from... From Mosaic and um, in even you know Tim and and Dr. Jossberger, uh, I was in class with her last last year and it was it's been really good. It's been very formative for me. So it's kind of intimidating to speak here as well because I have to, you know, I can't screw up. You know what I'm saying? So, all right. So at that, will you will you join me as we open? I a few years back, I started to uh, ask people to join me in praying the Lord's Prayer every time that I open Scripture. And uh, it's comforting. Uh, one, because uh, we're, we're joining together in the same prayer. You're not just agreeing with me. You're actually praying along with me. And uh, two, it's encouraging because uh, we join with the church, uh, kind of the, the global church in praying this prayer. Many churches pray this prayer every single Sunday as we come together. So as we open the word, we take a moment uh, not to forget about your difficulties, or, or, but, but to bring your difficulties to the cross, right? Amen. And just uh, listen to the Holy Spirit, that we would hear him and what he would have to say to us and that we would uh, take the next step and and obey uh, what he has called us to do. Amen. All right. So uh, the the words are on the screen here. Will you will you pray this with me? Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. Well, as Tim and I discussed uh, what it would be like to come and preach uh, through Proverbs, uh, I kind of knew right away where to go because uh, Proverbs have been a, a huge part of my life from a young age. I'd say as a junior higher Uh, I learned uh, from a man who was discipling me uh, to hide the word of God in your heart, right? And and so one of the ways that he did this is he showed me uh, that uh, a proverb a day keeps the devil away. I don't know if you knew this, but I think it's in the Bible somewhere. Um, And so I began to read, and there's 31 proverbs. So, you know, every once in a while I'd skip Proverbs 31 and even 30 and 20, 28 days in February. Whatever, you know. I don't know. You just kind of get lost. But uh, I remember one in particular, one, one proverb uh, stuck out because me and my friend uh, were in junior high together. His name was Joel. I think he'd be proud if I told you this story. Uh, but we would go to weddings together. This is a friend that in junior high we'd go to weddings. And it was back when they had these things called disposable cameras. Those are called iPhones now, you know, disposable cameras. <laughs> But uh, uh, he, we, we would take these disposable cameras and you ratchet down one side 
and then you could, you could like pop it against the table and it would flash on its own, which was great. Or you could take pictures of yourself and a bunch of random things that you ought not take at a wedding. You know, you're not really commemorating their wedding. You're just taking pictures of yourself and your best friend. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is what we were doing. Anyways, uh, so we were in junior high together. We'd go to uh, the junior high's, the pastor's wife, and we were going to uh, recite some memory verses so that we could get points for our team, and we were crushing. So uh, we'd go big, and I remember one year, or this, this one day in particular, we went to her and we said, hey, we have a verse, we're going to do it together. And we said, it's Proverbs 25, 24. It is better to live on a corner of a roof than in a house with a contentious woman. We are like, yeah. I don't even know what contentious meant, but it was like, it was a great verse. So today, if you are a contentious woman, I'd like you to open your Bibles. <laughs> no, I'll save that for next time. When I come to, to, come to Mosaic next time, we're, I'm preaching 25-24. As long as you're still in the series for Proverbs. Um, but here's the thing about Proverbs. It's so, it's so difficult sometimes. It's, a, it's broke up into these couplets, you know, like two lines, sometimes alternating, sometimes saying the same thing twice. And, and it can transition, especially as you get later on in the book of Proverbs, it can transition from one idea to a very different idea uh, within a second. And each idea, each piece of wisdom kind of requires that you really think about it, right? So what's hard for me is to digest an entire chapter like chapter 25 and get one central thing because the one central thing that's in chapter 25 isn't about uh, making your wife happy or a woman happy. It's like that's not the thing that it's talking about. It's giving you wisdom. That's the central thing. So what I want to do today is I'm not going to talk about one specific thing. I'm actually going to take you, we're going to, I'm going to do something that's kind of more, a little more difficult in, in Proverbs, but it's only because it's, it happens a little less, is I'm going to take you through a, a, an entire portion of chapter 3, 12 verses, in fact, that I think are all tied together, that they all kind of come to a central idea, that I'm going to hold that a little loosely, but we're going to kind of walk through a, a passage in particular. Uh, and so we, I can show you this. And the thing I want you to see is how I broke it up. Um, I'm not saying this is correct. I'm just saying that this is, uh, there's one thing happening here that I, I think is correct. And that, that the, how I've broken this up is just to help you see how I'm aligning things. Uh, first of all, and the primary thing I want you to see is, is something called uh, an inclusio. Inclusio basically just means uh, bookends. If you think about it that way, in the scripture, in this proverb, there are two markers that as you're studying and as I was reading, I came to this point and, and I read the beginning. I almost just preached chapter uh, three, verse five and six. Honestly, I almost just went there. But as I read, I realized, no, five and six actually are part of one to eleven, one to twelve. And the thing that marks it are those first words, my son do not forget my teaching. All right? And if you look at verse 11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. It's like you start with him talking to his son and you end with him talking to his son. So there's this logical conclusion that happens, right, in this text. So what I want to do is I kind of I want to walk through this in its entirety and and uh, distill uh, some of the wisdom that I think uh, that, that, that Solomon is giving to his son. All right, let's read this together. I'm going to read it. You can listen or read along. 
and see if you can see uh, how these demarcations work. Do you see how three and seven are blue, five and nine are red? Uh, it just shows how they are, are, are similar in structure. All right? It's just a poetic function here. So let's read it. Chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and life and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and you will find good success in the sight of God and in the sight of man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. First thing we have here are, again, this, this, this inclusio, these words of a father to his son. Uh, these teachings and commandments that are outlined in, in verse one, or at least you know mentioned the commandments. Don't 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 uh, forget my teaching. And in the end, uh, verse eleven, don't forget, don't despise the the discipline or the reproof. And, and you know the thing that I, I think is is interesting here is that in the Old Testament there there aren't so many mentions of God as Father. He's not referred to as father. It's, it's, it's not a peculiar thing, but I'd say it's at least a little uncommon. So uh, as, as we see in verse 11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or, or be weary of, of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So who is he? Who is, uh, what is the Lord in the eyes of, of Solomon? A father. A father. This is particular. This is a, a thing that we, that, that should, that kind of, oh, that this, is, this is not odd. It's, this is good. This is a way to define who God really is and who Solomon understands him to be. And I'll say this, for, for most of my life, I would say I have read passages like this and I've seen myself as a son. One, because I'm literally a son. So it's, it's very easy for me to make that one-to-one correlation. Um, but, but over time, even as I've gotten older, I still see myself as just the son in this. It wasn't until later on when a friend of mine had a child that I began to read some of these things and watching him parent. It wasn't because I had a kid. It did, it, I don't have to have a child to see and, and to understand what it means to have a, a son, right? We can, we can understand that even without, uh, without having children, and I think so. There's part of this that, that I, I want to see myself as a son for sure, but my, my friend having a kid and then me having four sons of my own, it's, it's altered how I view this. I don't only see it from one dimension anymore. I can, I can see um, other angles as well. 
And I think there's a little bit of that going on here with the words of Solomon as well. I mean, he's definitely writing to his son. But I think there's something in verse 11 when he says, Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. How do you know that you've been disciplined and reproved? And, and, and my question would actually go, at what point do you look at that discipline and reproof and call it a good thing? In the moment, you don't, right? Discipline and reproof are not a, a fun thing. But in retrospect, uh, sometimes, if not most times, it is. My, my parents, uh, I have two older siblings, so I would say I am very experienced with their love. They lavished discipline upon me. I'm, I'm actually the third. So you know who they really lavished the discipline on? Number one. You know what I'm saying? Any number ones here? Yes, I thank you. As a number three, I thank you for your service. My brother and I have very different views of, of upbringing. And I'm just telling you uh, I, that I saw discipline. And I know my parents really, really loved my older brother's. They also love me uh, as much as I, I love this one. He's my number one. And I'm telling you, he gets a lot of my discipline because I love him so much. Do you hear me, son? I love you. <laughs> I'm very generous with my discipline when it comes to him. And, and here's the thing with my teaching and reproof. I call it teaching and reproof sometimes. You like that? Yeah. Uh, sometimes it comes because I'm very frustrated. Because he has three older, three younger brothers, and I am just like at wit's end. So I ask them, I tell, tell them, I demand, I command them to follow my teachings and move that woodpile over to there. And then move it back. You know? <laughs> but I'll tell you that as much as I, I would be ashamed of all the, the ways that I discipline in an unhealthy way, that often my discipline, I hope, and I know from deep inside that my, my discipline comes from a healthy place, a place that, that loves them, that I want them to hear my words and, and take, uh, take heed, and I want them to hide uh, some of the wisdom that I have in their heart. I know what it's like to talk about my parents in a good way, and I, I want my boys to talk about me and remember uh, being disciplined and saying it was difficult, yet uh, my father... And my mother really loved me. Solomon here, I think, is speaking as a father and as a son. As a son of God, as one of his sons. Not the son of God, but as a son of God as well. And he's, he's pleading. Uh, I, I imagine that Solomon is writing these in, in a time of peace where there is no war, there are no worries. Like he's, he's, he's actually able to fashion uh, this passage to his son. And I think it's, it shows care and time and thought. He's telling his son to, to, to discover, to heed his wisdom, that in it he will, he will discover life. That he'll see reproof. And, and, and in seeing that reproof, he's actually experiencing the love of God. And this actually all comes from, I'd say, the, the chapter 1, verse 7, which I think is the, the core, the, the actual, the heart, uh, the beginning of the heart of, of, of all of Proverbs. Uh, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Fools despise wisdom and instruction. In that one verse uh, in Proverbs, we see that phrase, the fear of the Lord. Now that's used uh, a dozen times or, or a few more, maybe I think it's 13, 14 times uh, throughout all of the other wisdom literature. And I'm, I'm including Job and Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. But in the book of Proverbs, right, that, that word is used 14 times alone. That phrase, the fear of the Lord, it's, it's central, it's foundational. And when we say fear of the Lord, we don't mean that you would be scared uh, of your father. It wouldn't be that we are scared of God, but that we would hold God in, in honor and in reverence, that God is, is holy. We actually prayed this earlier today. Uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name, that you are good and true. That in you is wisdom that doesn't come from man. You see, I think what, what Solomon sees here and what we see throughout Scripture, especially within the book of, of Proverbs, is that true wisdom is based in how you understand who God is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, wisdom, and instruction. The fear of the Lord, understanding who God is. That's called uh, your, your theology, your understanding of who God is. That, that, that the fear of the Lord, or that, that theological like understanding of who He is, is the beginning of wisdom. Understanding God is understanding or grasping wisdom. So, I think the question should be, if... if there's a lot of instruction here that Solomon is giving his son, right? That we should take heed to. Like, don't forget my instructions. Don't forget my teachings. Look at the reproof. See the, the teachings of God. So what are those? And, 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 and what is the instruction or doctrine? What's the theology that we should be remembering? And what is it that we should be holding in our hearts or wearing around our necks? And there's three things here. I'm going to bust through them, hopefully quick enough to just... Just touch on them, and I'd love for you to take this and, and study it more this week, that you would read it and, and, and hide it in your own heart. But one would be that we would hold love and faithfulness. What does it mean for us to hold on to love and faithfulness? Two, what is it uh, for us to find uh, the wisdom of God, right? When he says, uh, don't be wise in your own understanding, in your own eyes, but, but fear the Lord and turn from evil. Uh, what, what does wisdom look like in that respect? And then lastly, in 5 and 6, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. What does it look like to, for us to trust in Him? So, uh, 3 and 4. Verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Let not faithfulness and love forsake you. Bind them around your neck. What, what does he mean there? And I, I think there's a few things for us to, to, to look at and to understand. But when he says to bind it around your neck uh, and to, to write it on the tablets of your heart, uh, I, I'll make mention of this. You guys see what this is? I mean, it's a necklace. But does anybody know what kind of stone that is from the distance? called tiger's eye you ever heard of this it's, it's incredible it looks really good on me doesn't it <laughs> so this is a necklace that i got uh 20 some years ago i was in dominican republic 
as a young man uh, with uh, uh, my youth group. So people ask me often, they'll say like, what's that, what's that necklace? Like, I love it. How, and and it's, a, it's a way for me to speak and talk and have a conversation. And if you know me, I, I love to talk. So let's have a conversation. Let's let me talk and you can listen about this necklace. <laughs> So I'm, I, I'm, in, I'm in a line for Starbucks, and I'm getting my wife a caramel macchiato, because that's her favorite place, but don't tell anybody that she only drinks Starbucks, because um, that's just between you and I, you and I all right? Uh, so, but the lady at the, at the register says, hey, I like your necklace. Just the other day, this happened. Well, the thing that this really points to is that I was on the mission field. We were doing missions work, and you know who I was with? My wife. I mean, I didn't know it at the time. Of course, she wanted to marry me. But I didn't know if, what, what to think. I mean, she's probably the most intimidating woman I've ever met because she is beautiful and she's like confident and I, that freaks me out, you know? So I didn't know what to do. But as we were ministering together, I realized over time that I, I was falling in love with her. And anytime we would say, hey, let's, let's pray, I'd make sure that I was right next to her. Because what happened there? Yeah, let's join hands. I was like, oh, we're on like a quadruple date right now, huh? I don't even know if they know it, but this is the beginning of our relationship. So when I, when I have this, it's an opportunity for me to, to talk about the love for my wife. It's, it's kind of a crazy. And so when he says, take steadfast, like don't let steadfast love or, or faithfulness forsake you. Actually put it around your neck. Right? I don't think this is saying, like, choke yourself with it. He's saying, put it on display. Take love and, and faithfulness and put it on display. Let other people see it. Adorn yourself, not with jewels, but with steadfast love and faithfulness. I, I, I actually, I'm not going to tell you what that looks like for you to do. I'm just going to say what the idea is behind it, to put it on display. He goes even further to say, etch it onto the tablets of your heart. And, and, and that, I mean, just get the imagery of Moses or somebody etching into stone over and over to get one letter, you know, just making it permanent on your heart, I think is what he's saying. Because here's, here's what's going on. I, I think that the, the visible things that you have, the love and faithfulness that you have that you, is visible, and, and the love and the faithfulness that's, that's inside that you've etched on your heart, the ways that you've studied scripture and, and you've seen God move in other people as well as in your own life, and you look back on, on the, 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 the faithfulness of God through how he's disciplined you and he's shown you reproof, and you see his faithfulness, you see his love, that those things that are etched in your heart will come out. They'll come out in good times when things are, are, are going well, when you're in seasons of plenty, but they will also come out in times of distress, your own distress and the distress of others. And in that, you will find favor in God. And you will, when those things come out, that you will bless those around you. That his love and faithfulness will draw you to bless your neighbors who are in need. Your co-workers, your family. And it starts here by, by putting it around your neck and, and, and digging it into your heart. Second thing here. We see the, the love and the faithfulness. Secondly, would be uh, the verses 7 through 10. I'll come back to 5 and 6, just so you know. I'm not going to skip over that. Uh, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Uh, uh, conventional wisdom 
is different than godly wisdom. Amen? Okay, I would say it's not just different. It's often opposite, right? Conventional wisdom, and here's where I'll sum up all of conventional wisdom is make, make a profit, and I could, I could put that into a few more categories. It would be, uh, be profitable, uh, save time, and, and look good. Look good doing it. And I, and I mean that. I mean, of course, I mean look good like this. But uh, also, like, look good in the sense, like, you're part of the team. Like, you people, you have a good reputation. Like, those are the wise people in our culture. Those who are profitable those who, are, who are, are good stewards of their time, maybe that's wisdom in our culture. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But definitely profit and looking good. I would say you want to be around those people. Uh, I had an opportunity to practice the wisdom of, of, of the conventional wisdom. I, I worked for a property management firm. Uh, we, we rented about a thousand different units throughout all of Portland area. And so I was a leasing agent. People came to me when they were looking for uh, a, a, um, uh, an apartment. And they would, look, they would see it in this thing called a newspaper. And then they would like, contact me through this, a landline, a phone, <laughs> had a voicemail box, all that stuff. It was kind of crazy. And uh, uh, we, I would go and I would meet with them and ultimately usually rent them an apartment and sign a lease and all that stuff. Well, they instituted some uh, time cards. And they said, hey, when you come in, swipe in. And when you leave, swipe out. And so uh, conventional wisdom, though, from some of the other employees and, and myself as well, was like, well, hey, I'm, I'm going to be down in southeast, you know, about 30 minutes away from the office without traffic. And I'm going to have to go back to the office to clock out and then go 30 minutes back to the same spot because I live right around the corner. So, will you clock me out at the end of the day? Okay? Because, uh, one, we want to save money. We want to save our company money. Right? We want to save them money. No. Uh, and, but we do want to be good stewards of our time. Now, that's for sure. I, I just want to walk home. I don't want to have to drive back and all that stuff. And then, uh, 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 lastly, if you do this, you're part of the team. You, you look good. I mean, we're helping each other out. And let's keep it underneath the, you know, the surface so that nobody sees it because we don't want to get in trouble. Uh, so we did that for three or four months. And actually, things got a little bit out of hand. I would say there were people cheating. Not me. I would never cheat. Uh, but maybe I did. I, I don't know. I probably was going too far. And my boss called me into her office and she sat down and she said, hey, have you been doing this? And I, I looked at her and I was caught, like red-handed. And, and I'm, I mean, I could have denied it. I could have thrown somebody under the bus. But it was in that moment where I was like, you know what? Yes, of course I have been. And I apologize. I, I never should have done that. Uh, it's gotten way out of hand. Um, and and I, 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 I repent. I mean, she wasn't a believer. She didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't crying or anything. But like, I was just like, look, I, I, I'm sorry. I never should have done that. I never should have done that. And um, I've... I basically, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God, right? And I, and I left it at that. And she said, well, thanks for, for being honest. Uh, you're fired. And I was like, all right, this is the thing, you know? I had hair back then, and then now I don't. So I got fired, first time ever. And so I was like, well, that's a thing. And then she goes, but listen, I really appreciate your honesty. And so um, 
I'm going to give you until the end of the year, and then you need to pack up your stuff and go, right? So the end of the year, this was October. It was about 10 weeks out. I just got a 10-week notice. <laughs> I was like, well, that's, that's not very normal. Uh, I go home and say, I got fired, but I still got 10 weeks. And Aaron's like, oh, great, that's awesome. And then about eight weeks later, we go to a Christmas banquet, and we're eating food, and she comes up to me. She's like, hey, uh, you don't have to clear out your desk in January 1. Uh, I want to give, give you a promotion I want to bring on. I, I'm just saying, this is how it happens for everyone all the time. <laughs> when you get fired, just be honest, you will get 10-week notice, and everybody know this is true, right? Right. This is, this is what Solomon is talking about, I think. But here, here's, here's the thing that I'll say does happen all the time. It doesn't always end well. In fact, when you get fired, it probably won't end well for you. Um, but when you follow God's wisdom, which I think in that moment, I wasn't following God's wisdom until the point where I got caught. And I knew at that point, I'm going to humble myself. I, I, I'm going to confess this. I will do anything it takes to, to, to make things right. Uh, I'm not going to throw anybody else under the bus. I'm not going to say anything about anybody else. But I'm going to take ownership for what I did. And I'm not going to do that again. In fact, I won't do this again ever. Not just here, but in my next place of business. I, and I appreciate you confronting me. Because uh, had you not, I just would have kept on doing it. Because I'm an idiot. you know. So, but that confession, you know what I think it did? I think it brought healing to our relationship. Even in that moment with my boss and I. And, and it brought, uh, what, does he, what does he say here? Um, you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Is that where I'm, I'm at? No, 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 I'm at another spot. Uh, it will bring, okay, do not, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. It will bring healing to your flesh and refresh, refreshment to your bones. In that moment, there was, was real refreshment. The other thing I, I think here that's happening is in verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. And, and this is where I think it comes to the kind of the core of the definition of what we call wisdom. It is your wealth where we actually kind of distill everything down. If you're good with your money, you are seen in our culture as a wise person, right? Am, am I right with that statement? Would you say? Uh, good with wealth, you are wise. That's conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom says make that money. Conventional wisdom says, whatever you do, get the bread. Right? You have to hustle. A money, money doesn't grow on trees. A penny saved is a penny earned. Right? This is, this is conventional wisdom. God's wisdom says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth. It says, with what you have first, with your, fir- with your beginnings, your first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and the vats will be bursting with wine. Godly wisdom says, uh, be lavishly generous with what you value most. With the thing that you have the most and you, you get that first, take the very first parts of that, the, the best parts, and, and, and give it away. Give it, be generous with it. And God will provide for you. God will fill your vats and fill your barns. Bless others for the glory of God. And he will provide for you. I think this is the wisdom that, that Solomon is giving his son. That we should hear and take heed. 
that when you practice godly wisdom and you give away your money. And the reason why I'm saying money here is because he's talking about wealth. He's talking about the, the things that you've worked for. This is why I practice tithing. I don't practice tithing because it's like, it's, it's the thing I just mark my check and I just do it. It's, it's a gateway for me to practice this first fruits. We mark it and we say, we're going to give this away. We're going to, we're going to give it to the church. And this is where I'd like to, if I could give you a challenge as a church and as a, as a people, that you would think about your wealth in this same respect. And for some of you, uh, my challenge will be, be generous. You've never thought of it that way. You live in a, 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 a cultural mindset that says, I'm gonna, I have to get my money. And I'm saying, follow biblical, godly wisdom and be generous. And for some of you, I'll say, you should be challenged to be more generous. That sometimes you can put out that 10% and, it, and it's not sacrificial whatsoever. And it, maybe it's not generous. It's just like you're tipping God. But I'd say be, be generous. What does that mean for you? Amen? All right, all right. Lastly, verses five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So we talked about displaying uh, the love and the faithfulness that we have in God. We, we've talked about pursuing wisdom, especially in respect to our, our resources and, and, being genero- and being generous. But here is, is this idea of, of, of trusting in God. And when he says trust in God, I, I think... Uh, one of the ways that it's beneficial to think about this is to be vulnerable with God. Because I think trust and, and trusting someone and being vulnerable with them, it kind of goes hand in hand. And this is what I mean. Have you ever trusted someone with a confession? With something that you are holding that's, that's burdening your heart? When you speak that confession, you are putting trust. And you are becoming vulnerable with that other person. But the same is true if you have a five o'clock time, five o'clock flight, and you've asked someone, you've trusted them to be at your house at four in the morning. And it's 4.06, and they're not there. And they are not answering their phone. They are asleep, you assume, and you're going to miss your flight, and you can't run that fast. And it's before Uber existed. So stop going, why didn't you just call Uber? Because it doesn't exist in my mind, you know? <laughs> you, you, are, you become vulnerable when you trust. Solomon is telling his son to put your trust in God. Trust him with everything. This is his ultimate thrust. This is his ultimate plea with his son. Trust in God. I want to tell you a little bit about the lens that I had in choosing this text. Uh, it's not, it's not, I didn't just choose it out of the air. In fact, uh, at Roots, we've been talking since Pentecost, a few, few, like a month and a half back. Uh, we've been talking about what it means to be spirit-filled. And one of the things that we, we grounded on is to say, in the spirit-filled life, there's a lot of dependence and trust that must be put on God, like, and by a lot, I mean all, all of it. 
And here's one of the primary ways that we exercise that as a church and as a person of God, as a spirit-filled person. We want to we pray. And I'll tell you that it's been refreshing to read books because many of the books I've been reading start with somebody saying, hey, look, I'm, I probably shouldn't be writing this book, but it needs to be written. I struggle to, to, to be faithful and pray often. And, and I feel like the same way, like when I'm preaching about prayer. And so we've, we've taken uh, the last few weeks, and we're going to take a few more, and really dive into uh, 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 the, the, the Lord's Prayer, piece by piece. And the piece that I'm on this week is uh, trusting in God, to, take, to give us this day our daily bread. So if I could go one step further into this text, I'd say that I think... That when you take uh, these words from Solomon to his son, and, and you apply this wisdom, that, that Jesus, when he speaks to his disciples, his disciples ask him at one point, hey, will you teach us to pray? And in that moment, he, Jesus doesn't answer with, well, what do you think it means to pray? Or he didn't like, well, there was a, you know, a, a grain of sand on a table. He didn't tell a story to interpret. He didn't ask them another question. He actually just answered their question. He said, when you pray, put all of your trust in God. He said this. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, you are holy. You are, it's from you that true wisdom comes. Right? If wisdom is theological, this is all about you. You are holy. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom's reign. Your rule, which is marked by two things I'll say from this text. Love and faithfulness. And how does that come? How does his reign actually come out into our cultures through us, his church, that that you would use us when you pray this, our Father, your kingdom come, pray that his reign of love and faithfulness would come through us. Pray that he would give us this day our daily bread, that we may trust in you with all of our hearts, that we could depend upon you and be vulnerable with all of our hearts. And Lord, forgive us as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Forgive as... Lord, when you pray like this, you you get to put on display the great generosity of God's forgiveness for you. In the same way that God has forgiven you, forgive others. And lead us not into temptation, but, but deliver us from evil. Lead us into your teachings. Lead us into your reproof. Lead us into your discipline. Amen? Like this is what we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer. So I, if my first challenge is be generous or be more generous, I don't know if I could be more broad than that. My second challenge would be a little more specific. This week, pull out Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 12. And pray the Lord's Prayer and ask the Lord to give you wisdom. Pray these words and pray dependence and turn your heart to him. That we would pray, give us this day our daily bread. You know, at this this table, we see the, the bread 
that has been broken for us, the, the body of Jesus, his, his blood spilled in this juice. And, and, and so today, I, I want us to, to, to confess as we come to this table. I want to I invite you to confess or, or to, to pray or to declare that this is our, our daily bread, that at this table is, is true trust and dependence not on ourselves, but on him and his sacrifice for us. That at this table, we see God's faithfulness. We see his love. Not that we've done anything, but that God's son has laid out his own life for us. We see his wisdom and his generosity. Amen? We see God's wisdom here. That, that the king of the universe would, would subject himself to, to become flesh like us. And of flesh, to become the lowest kind of flesh, a servant. And of that lowest kind, to die, just like all of us. And of those deaths, to die the death of a criminal. That he, as king, would flip everything upside down and, and, and come to serve us. This is the wisdom of God. We see the wisdom of God in this table and in it we see that he alone is worthy of our trust amen trust in the lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him let's pray lord i i'm amazed at your goodness and your grace toward us that you are worthy of our trust. And I pray that as we come to this table, that you would be lifted up, that, that we would continue to worship you as, as we taste the bread and this juice, that it would uh, uh, taste like reconciliation, that it would taste like holiness and, and generosity and love and faithfulness, God. That we would remember what you've done on the cross and that not just remember... Uh, but every time we do this, that we would proclaim your death until you return. That we would remember what you've done on the cross for us and that we would take it out of these doors and proclaim it as well. We love you, Jesus. Amen.